What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast. It is Monday morning, January 3rd. My name is Rob Doster and I'm joined by my lovely, lovely co-host, the one and only John Fanta from uh, from Boudin Township, apparently. I've never heard of that. We're supposed to know where it is. And Terrence Oglesby uh, from all the way down there in, as he says it, rural South Carolina, where it's nice and warm and not snowing. Like what How I'm would you saying. pronounce rural? What? You said, as I say, rural. Is that yeah, is there a rural, different rural way? South to Carolina. That's what you call it. You say you're oh. in rural South Carolina. Oh, I, I the, when just, you said rural, I thought like there was some shade going on. I just wanted no, to no. Make, make clear that like <laughs> I, I'm not sure of another pronunciation for rural. No, 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 not at all. It's like okay. how you always say, look, <laughs> I'm from Tennessee. Okay, he's from rural South Carolina. Uh, anyway, how we guys? How, how we doing? Everyone have a good New Year. Yeah, great, great new year i'm a i'm a, I'm a father so i was in bed after uh two cocktails at 10 30 so that for me that's a win uh we fake ball dropped at 8 30 on youtube put the kids to bed got them going they heard some fireworks earlier in the night so the, everything was clear as far as i'm concerned that's a good day because i got to do the after dark show the next day so it was perfect for me fantastic new year was up to about 2 30 in the morning Champagne was flowing, uh, a little bit of Aperol as well. Uh, that's my girlfriend's favorite thing to, to mix in. Aperol spritz, huh? We know all about the Aperol spritzes in the Doster household. Little Aperol spritz. I'm sure you do. Your wife needs them. Yeah, um, she does. Put up with me. She needs a couple nights in a row, uh, if, if you ask us, with how busy you've been, my friend. Um, great New Year's Eve. And right into New Year's Day, went over to the Prudential Center, took the short trip over to Newark. And saw a terrific nip and tuck back and forth Big East basketball game between Villanova and Seton Hall. And the Pirates were down by nine with about eight minutes on the clock, seven minutes on the clock. They come back, they go up by one with two minutes left. Justin Moore makes a big time play and shot. And Villanova, despite nearly giving it away in the last 30 seconds, very uncharacteristic of them uh, with, with some of the things they were doing. Bryce Aiken tried, but uh, he came up just short, and so did a, a shorthanded Seton Hall team, which we'll get to later in the show. But just a terrific way to start the new year. Starting the new year with uh, Villanova and Seton Hall with about 14,000 people in the stands was very refreshing on New Year's Day. Yeah, that looked like it was a, a fun atmosphere, and it's always an entertaining game. When those two programs get together, it was a good Saturday of college basketball. You know, we had some bigger games that were wiped off the slate, but there was one matchup between two uh, of the four undefeated teams left in college basketball as Baylor went into Hilton Coliseum 
and beat number eight, Iowa State. Uh, T.O., what do you make of the Bears at this point? I, I think it's fair to say they're coming off. So they're coming off of a national title, right? We all, we all know that. Uh, they're sitting at 13-0 this season. They lost three NBA players and an NFL tight end. And it looks like they haven't really lost a step. They, they might. I don't know if you want to make the argument that they're better than they were last year, but they are certainly good enough to win a, another national title. It's hard enough to repeat if you bring everybody back. There, Scott Drew has basically retooled his entire roster, and he's still right there competing for the national title, number one team in the country, 13-0 in the season. What do you make of these Bears? Unbelievable. How about um, just defensively, this team is – it's not they might be better. They are better than they were last year. And we got to have Scott Drew on the After Dark show. That was – man, by the way, that was really, really cool, especially after a win of that magnitude. Uh, their length on the perimeter. And Iowa State's good. That's a good college basketball team, a top 20-level college basketball team at this point because of the way they guard and the way they compete. And they have them competing every night. It's fantastic. But uh, Baylor's length and size, just incredible. And, and Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan, when, they, when they've been needed to step up, they have. And defensively, they've bought into roles. And it's hard to get some of these young five-star kids sometimes to buy in to their roles that's needed right away. And they've been terrific. And they're not forcing the issue. Kendall Brown's in the top 10 in the country in field goal percentage. I didn't know that coming in. I read that this morning. Like, that's, that's incredible for a freshman to buy into his role to that magnitude, especially one that's, that was as highly touted as him. Not only that, Ken, uh, James Akinjo, we talked about he how important he needed to be for this team. Playmaking, you knew he was locked in from the beginning. Comes in, knocks down a couple of jump shots, settles his team down. And basically, the guy's incredible because he gets wherever he wants to. And there's so many weapons around him. And this comes on a game where Matthew Meyer didn't play his best game. Four of ten from the field. Still found ways to be, uh, be effective. Terrific, terrific game. Terrific team. I don't know who beats them when they're, on, when they're at their best. Uh, I'll tell you, nobody. They're the only team in Ken Palm that's in the top five in adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency. The only team that has top five in both those categories, and that's why they're number one on Ken Palm. The Baylor Bears have gotten better defensively, which is saying everything about the job that Scott Drew has done. In fact, sometimes we get rich in a debate on who we would like to make coach of the year. Who's done the biggest turnaround job? Who's done this? Who's rising? And we're going to talk about awards later in the show. But there is a case of the different cases that Scott Drew could be the national coach of the year. Because like you said, Rob, you lose three NBA players. How many programs are able to not just recover, but be at the top, remain at the top of the country? And the reason why is not just because of the defensive capabilities. I think heading into this season, we probably would have said that if we were going to rely on one end of the floor with Baylor, what would it be, defense or offense? I would have said defense because that's the pedigree they're built on uh, because of Sohan and Jonathan Shamwalk's Hatua and their length. I thought that that would be good enough to keep them going defensively. The fact is with this Baylor team, they have a trio – of guards that can make things happen time and again. They essentially have seven starting players. And that was the case on Saturday. You know, you you take a look at, at what they were able to get, and Sohan goes for 12 and 7, 
And LJ Cryer goes for 13 points coming in off the bench. And on a different day, it could be James Akinjo who had a good game, but it could be Adam Flagler who gives you the 15 points. Between Flagler, Akinjo, and Cryer, they're in sync. They really are. And that's a testament to Scott Drew and his staff. Because the fact is this. Nobody ever denied that James Akinjo was talented. But there's a difference between talent in college basketball and it meshing on a team correctly. And the ingredients that Baylor has defensively are present that I think it's allowed them to focus in on who they want to be on the offensive end of the floor. And James Akinjo has found his fit. It took three stops, but he feels at home. He feels right. And I credit Flagler and Cryer, too, for the way that they coexist. Because if you're going to have a guard come in, a guard who, frankly, has received some bad feedback at times. People said that, you know, things didn't work out at Arizona. James Akinjo can't coexist with other players. Well, again, this is how programs are built. This is how programs are built. When you can say we will take on any of that, we know he's freaking talented. And we're going to be able to get the best out of that. And it will work on our team. And that's what I'm seeing with Akinjo and Baylor. Yeah, and it's, it's not just having James Akinjo there. It's the fact that someone like an LJ Cryer. So let me let me paint the picture for LJ Cryer for you, right? He came into Baylor as a top 50 prospect, as a guy that finished as like a top five all-time scorer in the state of Texas, sat on the bench all last year. I think he averaged like three points a game behind three pros. We talked about that. This year was supposed to be his season. James Akinjo comes in, kind of takes that starting place that he, I'm sure that he was eyeing up. And now he's coming off the bench, but he's not complaining about it. He, he's their leading scorer. LJ Cryer is their leading scorer coming off of the bench. And you don't hear any complaints coming out of him. Jerry, Jeremy Solhan has the potential to be a one and done guy, right? Comes into this program. He's coming off the bench. You hear no complaints out of him. Uh, Jonathan Shamotachua comes off the bench. You hear no complaints out of him. Fran Fraschilla made this point on the broadcast. They have eight starters. You could bench three of their guys, right? You could take three guys out of that starting lineup and you still have a team that's capable of going out and beating anybody in the country on the floor. Like that, it's very hard to do when they're all bought in and they buy it. T.O., you made this point the other day. I don't know if you said it on air or if you said it in one of our pre-production or what it was, but there, we, we often have conversations about who is the coach in college basketball that you would take right now to start a program. Who is the best coach in college basketball? Who is this? Who is that? Whatever the case may be. Yeah, he's 1A. And it's, it's, it's Scott Drew, and there's no argument for anybody else at this point, right? Like, I, I, I can't even I, – I don't think that you could put together um, – th- there's arguments for other guys why they would be good to pick. I don't think there's anyone that you could take right now and make a valid argument to say, I want them to start a program over Scott Drew at this point. And that's saying a lot. I mean, and I'm taking into account Coach K, Bill Self, everybody. It doesn't matter. Like, over the past three years, I mean, who would you pick more than Scott Drew, especially what he inherited? And he's stuck with Baylor and he's shown loyalty to that loyalty to that program. And they just continue to get better. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And not only that, you want to go back to nerdy, nerdy stats. That's such a nerdy thing. We talked about skip passes the other day with Wake Forest. Baylor is one of the best passing teams in the country too. Like some of these baseline drive passes that they'll make to the opposite 45 with the opposite hand. Kendall Brown made a pass the other day and they called a foul. It didn't even count, but the fact that it got there and some of the things that they do, 
it, it all comes down to coaching, basic fundamentals. And then you got, obviously got to get the right guys in that system. And he obviously has done a masterful job of plugging and playing. Like they've got transfers. Flagler, Flagler's a transfer from Presbyterian, right? Right down the road from me. And played in the Big South, probably one of the bottom seven or eight conferences in college basketball. And they, they just see him. They know exactly what they want. They, they recognize talent. And they take him in and they force him to be great. They force them to be great. And they do it without them really even noticing it because they're just so happy in doing so. The culture of joy. And there, there, is no, there is no 1B. It is 1A. And it's Scott Drew. And then after that, there's an argument for a lot of people. But right now, I don't know who you pick differently. No, no. You talk about recognition of talent. And this is something that every fan base of a, of a respective program, they love to talk about, is the recognition of talent on the recruiting pathway. Well, again, to your point about Flagler, Baylor has done it their way. They know who they are, and they go about that identity very well in confidence. And I think what's interesting, T.O., to your point about the last three years we have to remember for a moment that this team went through a nasty COVID pause. This program went through a nasty pause last year that could have derailed them. How many coaches did we hear last year? Man, that, that just threw us off the rails. Or, man, that just that ended our season. Or, man, we were never the same after that. And I understand what you're saying. But guess what? The national champions went through the same thing. Went through the same thing. We shouldn't be putting an asterisk by anything. You should be saying it was that much tougher to get what they've gotten done. And they are doing it again. They're on that track again to be right there in New Orleans. Scott Drew has done the biggest build of this whole rebuild. There, there's, the last- no, there's no, there's no, like what Scott Drew did at Baylor, it wasn't a rebuild. There was nothing there before he got there, right? It, it wasn't, it wasn't. There was like- no foundation. Yeah. There was no concrete poured. Right. There was there no was basement nothing. in place. And nothing. it wasn't It wasn't like – so we all know what happened with Dave Bliss, and we don't have to rehash that. that that's a terrible story that, that we're, we're the culture – we're talking about the culture of joy. We don't need to rehash that. But it's not like what he did was drive a blue blood program into the ground. Like he, he got it going a little bit at Baylor, but then it, it, but it wasn't like there was anything there before um, some of the pieces that he brought and some of the wins that they ended yeah. up getting there, right? Scott Drew, Scott Drew built Baylor into the best program in college basketball as of this moment for, at a place where, like, college basketball didn't exist, what, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 14 years ago? What he's done is the best building up, and we've seen it before. Jim Calhoun did something similar at UConn. Uh, I think you could say Lute Olson did something similar at Arizona. There are a couple other examples that I'm probably uh, blanking on right now that listeners of this podcast could, could tweet at us and, and let me know, but um, – it's what he's done is absolutely remarkable. And and like I said, the best building job, I want to put this into context and give it back to you, Fanta, because I know that, you know, the big East and Jay Wright and, and that program better than anyone. When Jay won two titles in three years, it, that was more or less the same kind of core group, right? Like arch left uh, after the first title. And I think it was, it was Josh Hart that was gone after the first title as yeah. well. They lost yeah. a couple of key guys, but it was like kind of that, that same cool. Like Jalen Brunson's still there. Mikhail Bridge is still there. Uh, you kind of have like that same core group in the program. Um, and look at what it's taken for him to try to like rebuild and get that going again. Right. Like now we're talking about, oh, Villanova's disappointing because they're 
only like a top 15 team this season as opposed to being a national title contender. But that's just proof to the, the my point is that it takes for all, even the best coaches in the country, the most successful programs in the country, that rebuild going from the elite of the elite, number one of the country, national title contender, to get back there, it's not easy to do. And Scott Drew has done it immediately. It's incredible. It is incredible. And, and I just wanted to finish off the, the point of, yeah, it's the greatest. It's it's one of the, the best builds that we've seen in recent college basketball history. But the buildup, the biggest part of the build came at the most difficult time to complete it. Mm-hmm. The last three years in this sport have been a dumpster fire at times. Absolute. Mm-hmm. It's been chaos. It's been chaos. I just mispronounced chaos. It's been total chaos in this sport. And Scott Drew has still come through. And to your point on Villanova, yes, Jay Wright and what he did and what he actually continues to do at a small Catholic school that's not in Philadelphia. It's in Villanova, Pennsylvania. Villanova is about a half hour away from downtown Philadelphia with, a, with an enrollment of 6,200 kids. Like, it's incredible what he, what he did in a span of three years. You talk about history. Villanova won a national championship in 1985. Hadn't won one since then and really hadn't come as close as they were when they showed up to the final four in 2016. And I'll tell you guys right now, Rob, were you at the 2016 final four? Mm -hmm. You walk around the press room at the 2016 final four, everybody and their mother had Buddy Heald in Oklahoma advancing to the national championship game. That was the vibe. That was the vibe. My bosses, they had a flight ready to get booked back after the first final four game. That didn't happen. Villanova ended up winning it all. Um, and in epic fashion, it is a terrific build. What, what Jay Wright did. And he kept them on top. You win two out of three national championships like that. That does, that's not supposed to happen that way. So that's why to do it in back to back years, that is insane. Like that, that is next level stuff. And, and if Baylor does that and they repeat, that's something that this sport in these times it feels like the impossible. And yet in Waco, it is entirely possible because they have the best coach in the country right now. Yep, that's true. All right. So I also don't want to take away like what Chamwa Chachua, uh, Flo Thamba, what some of those guys that came back mean for that team. I mean, I, I realize they lost their core with those four guys, but you also have to think like Chamwa Chachua is a big culture piece. Like that dude, everyday John plays so hard every day. Flo Thamba accepts his role, doesn't mind being the dirty work guy and a rebound guy. They, the hardest part, though, is also getting those guys that everything can revolve around, and that's where the recruiting comes in. But to take away from Chema Chachua and say complete rebuild, the culture was still in place because they still had all those guys there. And I'm not, taking, I'm not blasting what you're saying, Rob, but like those guys that average five and four, you're really, right. really important really, really important. And the fact that they're able to stay with what they were doing last year and improve a little bit, but still understand their role, even with new guys, that helps your program stay on track because there's no straying from what you know you're supposed to be doing and what you're good at. And I think that's a big part of role definition and good on those guys for understanding their role, even in a changing dynamic of a team. Yeah. Every Supreme pizza 
needs the appropriate amount of toppings on it. That's you know, right. You can't, you can't overload it with sausage and not have enough peppers. If you're going to get all that on your pizza, you've got to have an appropriate allotment of toppings to make sure the ratio is proper. And that's the thing with Baylor parts to the whole mm-hmm. parts to the whole. They Scott Drew's got the oven going right now. He's got a nice formula for a pizza that I'm buying. I've never been a big Supreme pizza guy. I'm not going to lie. It's Neither like, have I. You need like the one, I think you need the one topping, which is what, to your point, which is what makes what Baylor is doing right now so impressive, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. They don't need one. They don't need just one player. They, they really have, like to T.O.'s point, you need those guys on your team yeah. because, mm-hmm. because you can always count on them. You can always yeah. count on Thamba, on Samwa Chachua. They've been in the biggest games. That's why going to Hilton Coliseum, did Baylor look rattled? No. no. That says a lot because you said it, Rob. There's not well, a place. That actually, that's a great point because they are – it's unbelievable how poised those guys are in, in some of, like, the biggest moments, right? Yeah. Like, there were, there were a couple of possessions at – look, Hilton Magic, it gets loud Ooh. in that building. It's incredible. And oh. there were a couple of possessions where Iowa State was putting real game pressure on Baylor in the second half. And – uh, like a Kendra would come down and like, they're just getting climbed all over the Iowa state's defense is legit, right? Like it's not, it's not a fluke what they're able to do defensively. They're a very, very good defensive team. And Baylor would just come down and uh, they're just getting worn out defensively. And they would just kind of go through their stuff, work the ball around. They wouldn't get sped up. They wouldn't get rushed. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, Adam Flagler uh, attacks, close out dribbles into a, um, a 15 foot pull up. And, you know, you bang home a shot that, that silences a crowd. And it's, that's a tough shot. And it doesn't look like Baylor gets flustered at all. Like nothing rattles them. To me, that's the most impressive part. All right, I want to pivot because uh, we do have a couple teams that we want to get into in terms of buy, sell, or hold. I always love uh, doing things like this. And we're going to start, T.O., I'm going to you first on this one, with the Iowa State Cyclones. Are you buying them? Are you selling them? Are you holding them? What do you make of this group after their first loss of the season? Well, I feel like we need context. When I, when we say buy, does that mean they're a definite tournament team? Does that mean they're second week tournament team? What, what are we? Huh? I, I'm buying them because Otzelberger's done such a good job with them. They have a good ingredient of guys that are really tough and gritty, and it's been different guys. And Isaiah Brockington's been a diamond in the rough. I think he's been really, really good for them. And they've got some bigs that play really, really hard with good size. Uh, the kid that transferred from Denver, the seven-footer, he comes in, he gives them a really good boost of confidence. He gives them a lot of energy right away and they run the floor and they do a lot of the little things for a seven footer to, and Fran Fraschilla called it the, the, the unknown runner or the invisible runner. I can't remember what he called it, but it was a very good reference to some of these guys that rim run because they open up things for the guards, bring the ball up the court in a transition situation. They do all those little things. And those little things turn into big things because through the course of the game, whether it's two points, four points, six points, what have you, in the Big 12, there's going to be a lot of close games. And those extra possessions that are generated at the end of the first half, 10 minutes to go, 10 minutes through the second half, that's when you win ball games. not necessarily in the last two minutes sometimes. They do the right stuff the entire game. He's done a terrific job getting those guys to buy in. Give me Iowa State. I will go ahead and buy them because – of the intangibles, the little things, and little things win games. They don't have that marquee one-on-one score. I think Isaiah Brockington, Brockington's close, but I, I, it's a good team. They're just a good. They're they're a good mashup of guys. They're they're almost Baylor light because they just don't have the size and they don't have that that ability offensively to be quite that good. But they could be 
Well, one, I mean, two, that's, three, that's the thing right there is they just they, – they, they really struggle to score at times. Yeah. Um, especially when it's against a set defense and a set defense as good as Baylor's. Uh, but I will say this, Fanta, Iowa State right now, they have a win over Xavier on a neutral court. They have a win over Memphis on a neutral court. They won at Creighton, and they beat Iowa. Those are four quad one wins. Those are going to be four quad one wins uh, this season. And um, at this point, like, they are – they are not playing for a tournament bid. They are playing to get a seed that will allow them to be able to make a little bit of a run. So I am buying them. What about you? Well, you're buying or selling them in terms of are they going to make a tournament run? So to me, I'm, I'm saying to myself, okay, you shot one for 14 from beyond the three-point arc against Baylor. You lost the game by just five points. Yep. I'm, I'm torn because I'm always the one who says you got to be – at some point in the NCAA tournament – you better be able to put the ball through the hoop. Like you could defend until the sun sets and goes down. But if you can't put offense together when you're playing another game, the fourth game in what, nine or 10 days, and you got to piece it all together again. And it's against high, this is a different level of intensity. NCAA tournament basketball, so different. Do you have the pieces? Like, do you, does Iowa stay at the pieces to put the two first weekend wins together and get to the second weekend? They are 127 in Ken Palm offense. And for that reason, I am selling them. Big picture. I'm buying them to make the tournament. I think they're going to be right in the tournament. I could see them being like a five seed. I get concerned. I get concerned about them. Big picture because I, I, if you stop Isaiah Brockington, now on Saturday, Tristan Inaruna had 23 points and played very well for them. But if you stop Brockington – I get concerned about what they have on the offensive end of the floor. They are a really good basketball team, and T.J. Otzelberger's done a terrific job. But maybe to be a contrarian, I don't know about this team. Like, if I'm buying or selling them, I'm looking at them, are they a Sweet 16 team? A team that's one of the last 16 standing? I'll pro- I might eat my words on this. I'm selling them big picture because of their lack of offense, and I think that could hurt them on the big dance floor. I'm yeah. with that. Uh, for the record, I don't. I think that the top ten ranking that they have is probably just a little bit. Like we know how these things go. You get hot at the right time, your ranking is going to go a lot higher than than what it deserves. Because if you win, you move up, and if you lose, you move down. It's just the nature of uh, the beast when it comes to rankings. I think they're more of like a top twenty to twenty five kind of a team. Yeah. Um, but like they're so right now on Ken Palm, they're forty first. I'd buy them at forty first. Uh, yeah. If we're calling yeah. them like the number eight team in the country, then you're right, Fanta. That's probably they're not a they're not a top two seed. They're like a five, six, seven seed that if they get the right matchups has a chance to get to the Sweet 16. So I'm, I, I think we all are kind of on the same page. And Rob, Rob T.O., you know, if you're a five or a six, you're in danger land. You are yeah. in a danger zone when you go into that first round game because you're oh, facing sure. an 11 or 12. You're facing an 11 or 12 who may, who's probably better than the 8-9. Yeah. That's the funniest thing about the tournament. The 11s or 12s are more dangerous than some of the 8-9s. The 8-9s who get in as a result of being in a really strong league, but you're really not sure what to make of them. Yep. You're right. All right, next up, Fanta, we're going to you first on this one. Uh, the Creighton Blue Jays currently sitting at 3-0 and in the Big East. We had Greg McDermott on, uh, on After Dark last night. T.O. was all fired up to ask him questions about Ryan Hawkins. We know how T.O. Awesome. feels about these Blue Jays. They are coming off of a thrilling double overtime win at Marquette. Uh, what do you make of Creighton? Are you buying them? Or are you selling them? Well, when I'm buying or selling Creighton and I'm at the store, I'm buying or selling on will they be 
an NCAA tournament team. Okay? Right now, they're outside of the top 50 in the net. I think, I think from what I saw, they were 53 this morning. Let's check on that. The Creighton Blue Jays are deserving of the bid if the tournament started today. I am buying them for the reason of Ryan Hawkins is a winner in every sense of that term. He has been a godsend to such a young Blue Jays group. This kid makes winning plays, and he's not a kid. He's really a man. I mean, this guy is old, man. He's older than you, Fanta. (laughs) Almost, almost. But he acts like he's 35, if not older. And Greg McDermott said it to you guys on the show, but just the, the little things that he brings to the table, but the way that he composes himself. You lose all five starters from a year ago. And everybody had you as a likely afterthought in the Big East this season. And the Big East hasn't been lacking for factors and storylines this year. And Creighton is actually one of them. And they're one of them because not only has Hawkins made big plays, but they have handed the keys to a freshman point guard in Ryan Nemhard. And I've been, I've been very impressed with the way he's taken the keys and run with the show. Big-time recruit, four-star recruit out of high school. A lot of hype around him. Comes, obviously, from a basketball family. But the kids come in, he plays through mistakes. And one of the things about Greg McDermott's system is Greg McDermott will allow you to play through mistakes, and he'll adapt to the situation. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, prime example, he switches to a 2-3 zone late in the game. How about a coach who doesn't be stubborn and says, I got to change what I got to do here to win the game? Like, I, I love that about Matt. Love that about him. In fact, I'll tell you guys a very brief story here. Everybody always says Creighton has the best offense, one of the best offensive minds in college basketball with McDermott. Guys, about 11, 12 years ago, Creighton played like they were in it to get first to 50. They played slow. They played drag you out. They played very deliberately. They kind of played in a, in a tunnel. Mm-hmm. They go to the CBI. They go to the CBI one of these seasons, and Greg McDermott says to his kids, the first, they're kind of like in the gym when they're getting ready for the CBI game on Monday of the week. I think the game might have been Wednesday. And the kids are kind of like, what the hell are we doing in the CBI? Like, this, this isn't what we strive to do. Like, Greg McDermott walks in and goes, guys, every set you've ever run under me, forget it. We're going to play open floor style, first to 100. Go. Go. He hasn't turned back. He hasn't turned back. He he had a total come-to-Jesus moment because of the CBI. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? And they changed their way. They haven't, they haven't changed since. It helps when you bring in your son, who is the all-time leading scorer and racked up Naismith Award after Naismith Award. Look, I, I just think that with Creighton, it is a direct example of a program. In fact, they're one of only six programs in college basketball that has accounted for 20 or more wins in 21 of the last 23 seasons. They just win. They just win, baby. And this year they're winning again. And I'm buying the Blue Jays. Yeah, I am as well. Um, I, and and I, I did a big story on that, the, what you're talking about right there, and the, the change that McDermott made. And it also helped when uh, at that moment he realized what he had coming back was um, a team with a bunch of point guards and a front line that might end up being Ethan Roggie. And Doug McDermott. So he was like, ah, this whole like play through the post thing. 
uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be able to work now that we're going to the Big East. So um, those teams, uh, look, Ethan Rogge was one of my favorite players of all time to watch. That dude just bombed from like 35 feet. T.O., do you remember this guy? No, I don't remember that yeah, guy. He, uh, he had a big old beard. He was 6'7". He couldn't dribble. All he did was catch the ball. Like he couldn't run. He couldn't guard. He couldn't do anything except shoot 35 footers. <laughs> I like I'm not that. like you you think I'm joking? I am not joking at True. all. He no, couldn't no, no. do anything with send... 75 footers. Tio, I'm sending you a clip after we're done. Rob, first year of the Big East, right? 2014. MLK Day. Oh, I remember. I was I was in the building at uh at at uh what it was at Wells Fargo. At at Providence. They came in. No, 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 at Villanova, at the Wells Fargo Center. Yeah, it was right. at, that's what I said. At, at the Wells Fargo Center. They the Creighton went in there. And I think they hit nine threes in the first five minutes and they were up 29 to nine at the under four timeout. And Roggy had five of them. And TL, when I tell you like he's stepping over half court and catching and shooting with rhythm from like legit 35 feet, it's just kind of like, <laughs> what the hell is going on here? You would love this dude. I got to send you a video. He's got, he had a big old beard too. We started calling him the lumberjack and that was a nickname that, uh, that kind of took off. So um, that was fun. Anyway, I'm buying Creighton as well. You got anything to add there TL? No, nothing. The only thing I will say is to kind of combat what you guys are saying. They're playing through the post this year because they have young guards. So like this year, they are 247th in pace. I think that's important. And it's because they have Kalkbrenner and Hawkins down there and they have to function through their best decision maker. And their best decision maker this year is Ryan Hawkins, which is what makes it so fun. I'm buying them as a tournament team. I'm not sure how far because I'm not sure that their talent is crazy outstanding. So I'm buying them as a tournament team. I yeah, I think that they're better defensively than they've been in the past with Kalkbrenner kind of anchoring things in the middle. So to me, it's they're shooting 31, 32% from three right now. If that comes up, if they become a team that can shoot like 36, 37% from three, and all of a sudden they can space it around Kalkbrenner, then they become a, a, a different team. But my part of the reason I'm buying them is because I'm, I'm looking at that trajectory and it's going like this. And I know I trust Graham McDermott to figure things out. So I just think it's going to keep, kind of going Does like Kalkbrenner look huge yeah like whenever he's on the floor he looks huge but now it has a little bit to do with Ryan Hawkins being six seven but like <laughs> Kalkbrenner is massive is he's about is he the best rim protector in the Big East uh no I don't think so where do you go with that well in terms of rim protection I define that as a couple of different things but if you're asking me to have one kid in the Big East protect the rim the name of that kid is Isaiah Whaley from UConn I mean, I just think Isaiah Whaley is a shutdown defender from 10 feet inside because I've seen him shut people down. The wrench, people. the wrench, Fanta. That is the wrench. Put some respect on his name. Big time. Big time. There's a reason why the coaches – it tells me everything you need to know because Terrence, the nation, the nation doesn't know about the wrench very well, but the coaches voted him Big East Co-Defensive Player of the Year last year. That's all I need to the wrench, T.O. You're a Big East guy. You need to know these things now. I, I, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> well, I thought it was between him and Ico Biagi. Hey, hey, he would know him if UConn would – they got to play a game here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I haven't seen him play in what, hey, since before Christmas, it feels like. T.O., T.O., being a Big East guy. Yeah. Saturday, Saturday at the Prudential Center in Jersey, you got Seton Hall and UConn. My fingers are crossed that both teams have their allotment of players. Man, I hope so. Could you imagine what's going to be the light? What's going to, what is life going to be like in the post when those two teams meet? It's yeah, that's going to be uh, I, I have, a, I have a, I don't feel great 
about that one at all, Fanta. Every every game in the Big East is a rock fight, except for DePaul. <laughs> except except for DePaul. Look, he really is a Big East guy. He's always <laughs> in DePaul. I love it. All right, uh, T.O., next up, Michigan State. You buying or selling? I'm I'm selling because Greg Waddell wants them to win the Big Ten, and I just don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I just don't think it's going to happen. I love their talent. I thought, hey, Max Christie was a great interview last night. Like, not a good interview. He was great. He was smart. He was intelligent. He was fun. He was fun to talk to. Great interview. Uh, them not having an alpha to, at the end of the game worries me, especially in that conference, because that league, and you guys both know this, is so well scouted. You got to have a guy that can make it happen. I don't know that they have a guy that can make it happen on their own. That worries me. So I'm going to sell Michigan State. And I'm going to keep this one short. And for no other reason than I want to piss off Carter and Greg. It's the only two reasons I'm selling right now. I just don't think they have a go-to guy to win the whole thing. I, I love it. I'm going to sell on Michigan State because Greg Waddell can kiss my ass. Go ahead, Fanta. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Well, I'm going to buy them. And when I say I'm buying them, uh, I'm doing so thinking that can I see them playing in a Sweet 16 game and being in that very situation to make the Elite Eight? Yeah. I could. Now I do get concerned about that absence of that absolute alpha. Um, you know, Cassius Winston is not walking through that door, but what I like that I am seeing is the continual progression of Max Christie. I, I think that he just is making strides game in and game out has from the start of the season. He's gotten better. It's, it's the, Perfect example of what Tom Izzo can do with a guard. And if he becomes more and more of a playmaker as the season goes on, I think that, that, that that's an interesting dimension because he is six foot six. He has length and he had a good performance against Northwestern. I liked what I saw, guys. Bingham, he's a load. And Michigan State always has those guys. So you shouldn't be surprised when you're seeing guys like Bingham and, and when he's delivered, guys like uh, Marble be able to contribute for them in the post. For me, the question that I was asking heading into this season was, would the real Gabe Brown please stand up? Is Gabe Brown going to be that guy that could score for them? Now, he had 20 points against Northwestern, but Terrence, is he going to be a guy who's making those types of shots late in games when, when you're facing teams that are not Northwestern? Northwestern is a, uh, a solid enough team. They missed an opportunity. On Sunday, they had an opportunity to win that game, and they did not seize it because they also lack an alpha in key situations. Michigan State beat a team that doesn't have an alpha either. Uh, but I buy the Spartans. I, I really do. Uh, not to win the Big Ten. They're not going to win the Big Ten. The Purdue Boilermakers are going to win the Big Ten. Uh, but I buy the Spartans. I still really like this team. And the nation watched them on opening night and probably got discouraged by them, and rightfully yeah. so. They, didn't have, they had a pretty dreadful performance in Madison Square Garden. But – Reports of their demise were way overestimated. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm buying them um, simply because I think that they're still a little bit undervalued in terms of the market and, and where people are sitting on them. I am not buying them to win the Big Ten. They're not. You just sold them. I thought. No, they're well. No, I mean Greg Waddell can kiss my ass, but I'm, I'm just, <laughs> okay. Okay, just big, so we're clear. Yeah, big, big picture. I think that I, I do think that they are a team that's a little bit uh, undervalued nationally. You know, what? I'm going to put a hold on them. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to put a hold on them um, simply because I don't think I think that they're. 
I don't think they can win the Big Ten, but I still think people are kind of looking at them and saying, oh, maybe this group isn't as good as we thought they were going to end up being. That's a top 15, top 20 team in college basketball. Yeah. And there's like 15 of those in the Big Ten this year. You got Purdue and you got like nine teams that are all kind of in that top 15, top 20 range. And Michigan State is absolutely one of those teams. I don't know how many people think that they're there. Next up, Fanta, Memphis. You buying or selling or holding? Whoa, 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 whoa. Buying, selling, or holding? I yeah. didn't know there was an option yeah, that was, C. That was, that, was, that was the initial thing that, that, that I had written down. But we, you could just buy or sell, whatever you want to do. It's your world, Fanta. You know, I can't tell you. Well, um, I will stay true to my principles here. I'm selling them because I don't know what I'm getting gain to gain from them. And I know that you were shorthanded uh, last week against Tulane, but I don't care. You, you, you have been so inconsistent. And what's so frustrating about it is I know you've got the talent capability. I know that you have it, Memphis. You have enough. There's enough in that locker room to get it done. But I, I have a huge trust issue with you, and you lack the playmaking guard that I can rely on constantly from game to game. And when you don't have a lead playmaking guard, and, and sometimes, guys, that means that you're having a kid make some sacrifices to be that type of guy. Maybe it's an experienced player. Maybe you're, you're just figuring your way around it. They, they have not proven to me that they have that. Yes, they put up a resounding performance against Wichita State, but if that one game is what changes my opinion, then I probably think the American is better than it actually is. And so it's not changing my opinion. It's not. I'm selling Memphis because I don't know what I'm getting from game to game, and I do not think that they are an NCAA tournament team. I'm trying to adapt. I'm trying to be ever adapting. So I'm going to hold on Memphis just because I didn't know that was an option a second ago. So I'm holding, I'm not selling because they are talented. They are talented. I, the, the thing that drives you crazy about me, they just do so much undisciplined stuff. Like whether it be blocking somebody and standing over them a little too long, just to rev the game up when you don't need to, you're making runs and then you kind of screw yourself. They just do so much dumb stuff, but man, are they talented and man, are they long and gifted when they decide to, when they defend and they defend now they don't defend as well as last year, but I just want to hold because I'm not sure how good their conference is. Uh, they have talent guys. I mean, we've said it, we've said it. I, I'm, I'm holding because I'm interested to see how Imani Bates decides to come back. If he decides to come back and be a piece, they can be really good. If he comes back and decides I have to shoot a lot of mid range fadeaway jump shots, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. So I'm holding I'm very close to selling, but um, that stock is still teetering for me right now. So I'm going to hold. Yeah, I'm, I'm selling them. Me, hold on. Wait, holding, holding is like going to McDonald's and getting apple slices instead of fries. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> that's exactly, it's like, the, it's like the, the apple record, slices are there with the Big Mac, and they're like, you know what? The Big Mac, the apple slices are like, hey, man, he's with me. Like it, it's all right. It's healthy. So we're for, so for, the, we're for the record, McDonald's fries are probably the most overrated food item in, in the history of the United States of America. McDonald's whole nother conversation, whole nother conversation. McDonald's fries. But I feel like you might've overrated. If you, you might've really, you might've really hurt Fanta right if there. You don't get though. If you don't eat those things in the first like 
three minutes they come out of the fryer, they become old, they become cold, they become stale. Nah, I'm good. Well, you're not holding on to them. I'm good. Nobody's holding on to them. You eat them yeah. in one setting. You, you, yeah, you need to eat them immediately. If you don't eat them within the first three minutes, like you probably get like two or three good fries out of a batch of McDonald's. Fries. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's fast food, not leftover overrated. food. It's overrated. Yeah, not even leftovers. You get, you, you take two bites out of a cheeseburger when you're at me, you order them in a restaurant, right? You go and you sit down at the table, you take two bites out of your cheeseburger and then you eat a fry. The fries are already gone. Not good. Enough. I am so upset right now. Yeah, completely overrated. It's not even close. Give me, give me Burger King's fries over McDonald's fries. Any oh my day God. Of the well, you know what? Yeah. Give me Wendy's fries over, over McDonald's fries any day. I have a sense. And you know what? And here's, here's, here's the biggest thing. Give me Taco Bell over any of those terrible burger chains any day of the week. Taco Bell, without a doubt, is the single best fast food restaurant in the United States of America. It's not close. Do you guys have grilled cheese burrito the other day? They made a grilled cheese burrito. You know oh, what they do? oh, Terrence. Do you know what they do? We had cookout. We wish we had cookout, man. Yeah, we don't have that up here, man. Come on. Yeah. This is New Jersey. I, I, I need to start looking into real estate up there to open a cookout. It cookout, baby. Cookouts so where you good. can get seven things for three dollars. It's the best. <laughs> You feed your family for 12 bucks at Cookout. That's right. I've done so on many occasions. I can tell you right now, though. I can tell you right now. You're, here's the one thing Doster said that was correct in all that analysis. I'm going to let you all in on a little something. Little Bird told me. Someone from the field of 68 will be finding the nearest Taco Bell during the Final Four. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Okay. Down in New Orleans. Taco Bell's going to come in handy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hey. shove a Crunchwrap Supreme down Matt Norlander's mouth. <laughs> I've missed all the context here. I have no context to the story. I just love Taco Bell, especially late night after a couple bourbons. Come on now. Yeah, it is good. Taco is Bell good. is great. They, Phantom, I'm telling you, you got to try Have you tried the grilled cheese burrito yet? They make the no. burrito and they put Fritos in the burrito, right? You got Fritos inside the burrito. Fritos inside the burrito and then you know what they do they lay a little bit of cheese on the flat top and they take mm. that and then they take that burrito and they put it on that cheese that's cooking on the flat top and they wrap it up right so you have like the melted cheese on the outside but it's crispy because it's been sitting on the flat top it's unbelievable it's one of the greatest inventions in american history it's you finally great. found <laughs> you finally found something better than baylor's defense yes well that's the one thing on this planet that's better than baylor's defense all right last buy seller hold before we get into our midseason all-american teams that is Texas. T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. I, I'm, I'm buying in the fact that I think they're a good team. I'm selling in the fact that at pre, preseason, everybody's saying they're a national championship contender. They're not that. So I'm going to go sell. Their top-end talent isn't what a lot of other teams are, especially in that league. Uh, I'm selling because I just they're not overly athletic. They don't score at a great enough rate. They haven't really played anybody, and they, they they do defend. They do defend. Chris Beard's team offensively throughout the course of the season, they always get better. I just worry, you know, Marcus Carr finally had a good game. I just I, I worry about them offensively, especially come tournament time. Well, I think that that is a the right kind of analysis with them if you looked at their first 13 games um, and I agree with you, like I thought that there were a number of occasions where they could have found a way to get the lead 
a couple of weeks ago when they were at Seton Hall, they didn't score a basket in seven minutes of game Mm. time. In seven minutes of game time. And they lost narrowly, too. They could have won that game had they put in two threes in that span even. Mm-hmm. But one of the points that you made is Chris Beard with some time. Yep. Despite everything, they are 11-2. and two. The two losses are at Gonzaga and at Seton Hall. If they welcome both those teams into Austin, one of those is flipping. One of those is flipped. I'm buying them. I think the Longhorns have unwritten chapters, and Marcus Carr showed us what can happen when he gets going. I think it's taken some time. But look, athleticism, length, you could talk about the fact that they're lacking in some areas. The fact is this. You've got Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones, and Marcus Carr on your team, and they don't. If those three can get the wheels on the bus going – and Chris Beard evolved some of the length that he has because he's got depth. He's got depth. I think he's got to figure out a little bit on his rotations and whatnot, but I'm buying. I'm still buying Chris Beard and the Longhorns. I will take someone that's willing to sell some Texas stock, and I'll buy it because I trust in that coach. And at the end of the day, I do know that they have a guy that on his best day could be an All-American candidate. Yeah, see, if, if their guards are going to play the way that they did, against West Virginia on Saturday, then it becomes a very different conversation. Marcus Carr had 20. Courtney Ramey went off in the first half. Andrew Jones had a bunch of shots. If those guys are playing like that, then there's a real conversation to have about them being a top three team uh, in the Big 12. Uh, As it stands, uh, T.O., I made this point on After Dark on Saturday. I think the Big 12 two years go like this. Baylor, then a level. Kansas, then a level. And then you have Texas, you have Iowa State, and you have Texas Tech. And I think that Texas can be the top of that group when their guards are playing well, if they can kind of figure some things out with their front court. But for my money, this is just, this is a team where there's a lot of good pieces, but we talked about it with Michigan state. We talked about it a little bit with, with Iowa state, like who is, who's the alpha that you trust to give the ball to and just go out and make a play. Is it going to be Marcus Carr? Is that going to be him? You know, we, he's a guy who heading into the season was, 14 and 40 in his career in conference play right so I I need to I'm not ready to to sell them yet but I kind of need to I need to see it before I I go all in you know the the hype in the preseason got a little bit out of control which is kind of what happens when uh when Chris Beard adds a couple transfers and Jeff Goodman starts to have a chance to talk about it Um, yeah Jeff Goodman loves Jeff Goodman likes Chris Beard more than John Fanta likes McDonald's fries that's a fact that's a well, fact. That and their best players this year have been Trey Mitchell and Timmy Allen, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like the other guys have been so fluctuating in their production. That scares me. I, Timmy Allen's a good player. Is he an elite player? Maybe at Utah. And I, I just, I think Trey Mitchell's really, really good. I don't know if they have enough offensive consistency to be that level of a team. Like we were talking about at the beginning of the season. So that, I got to sell that one. I'm going to sell it. All right. Uh, let's end this podcast. We're going to do a little bit of, I don't know if we should call it mid-season or like non-conference or player of the year, favor, whatever it is. But uh, as we go from the non-conference portion of the schedule, calendar flips to the league portion of the schedule, it's a great time to kind of reevaluate 
what our preseason All-American teams look like, what our Player of the Year awards kind of look like, what our Coach of the Year awards look like. So uh, I just want to kind of uh, reset a little bit with there. So um, let's start with our, uh, our our midseason. I'm going to call it midseason. Our midseason Player of the Year. Fanta, I'm going to you first on this one. Who do you have as your midseason Player of the Year? Ochai Agbaji from Kansas. Uh, just phenomenal in the way that he has evolved into a three-level scorer. Uh, he's worked on the things that he needed to work on. I think he's he's taken some strides on the defensive end of the floor. You can tell that this was a guy that could have heard his name called in the NBA draft, but decided to come back, and Bill Self and his program are benefiting. 20 and a half points per game, but the ability to score 30 on any given night. Like, there's no question about it. You give him higher volume, and he's going to hit. He is shooting 54% from the field. This is someone who takes a lot of shots. But he doesn't need he doesn't need any unnecessary ones. He doesn't need to do too much. The game comes naturally to him. And the fact that he's six foot five and can beat you from the perimeter, if you over-anticipate, he will take you off the dribble. He can float. I just think his total skill set is that of a guy who is the best player in college basketball thus far this season. There are other extremely talented players, but mid-season player of the year, from what I've seen, and for what he means to his team, you know, for, for the meaning that he has to Kansas's national championship hopes, their hopes hinge on that man. Ochai Agbaji, my mid-season national player of the year. Where you at, T.O.? I love Ochai Baji, but just for the sake of argument, let's go Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. How good are they with him on the floor? I mean, that guy, he is a walking bucket. Doesn't matter where he's at on the floor. He will find a way. Doesn't over and does it with a lot of mid-range jump shots. I know that's against uh, conventional wisdom, but if I were to pick a backup, I would go Kofi Coburn. I think people have forgot about him because he's been dominant for so long. Uh, that guy's been absurd. 20 over almost 22 points a game, which is fourth in the country, 12.1 rebounds, which is third in the country. Uh, and not to mention, he's just an intimidating presence defensively. Uh, I, I think it's 1A and 1B for me right there. I love Igbaji. You can make him 1C if you want to. There's been a handful of players in middle America that have been fantastic. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of guys. They're, they're, the thing that's great about this year is there's no clear cut favorite for preseason national player for national player of the year right now uh mm -hmm. neither of you guys mentioned drew timmy who was the consensus national player of the year um heading into the season uh i'm not going to mention drew timmy either i am going with wendell moore i think that um he has been the best player for duke this season i think that his emergence as a guy listen to the numbers that he's putting up right now 17 points a game 5.7 boards a game five assists per game while turning the ball over less than twice per game 1.4 steals and shooting 41.3% from the floor. Like he's gone from being a guy that was like, yeah, you know what? He was probably overrated coming into Duke to looking like a lottery pick because of the things that he can do defensively, his ability to pass. Like he's, he has to me emerged as that, that kind of quintessential ideal veteran presence on a team with a bunch of young talent. And that's exactly what this Duke team is. A.J. Griffin, Trevor Keels, Paolo Bancaro, they got a ton of freshmen on that roster. They're super talented, and they're anchored by a veteran who, by the way, is a junior at Duke and has never played in the NCAA tournament. So he's he's got motivation to be great as well. So I think for me right now, Wendell Moore would be 
the, the, the national player of the year. What about national coach of the year? Fancy, you already said you're going with uh, Scott Drew, right? I'm going with Scott Drew. Uh, I, I also am giving consideration to Tommy Lloyd at Arizona uh, because I, I just think that what he's done with that group of players has been really exceptional in year one. Uh, but if I had to use my vote on one coach, it is Scott Drew. And somebody might say, well, that's a cop-out answer. They're the number one team in the country. Guess what? Nobody had them in the top four or five of the country heading into this season. People didn't think that they would be number one. Again, they have been. I'm going with Scott Drew. Look, you earned it. You earned it, Scott Drew. You had to earn it with this group, and he has thus far. Yeah, I think the answer is either Scott Drew or Tommy Lloyd. Those are the two guys that I have written down. Um, all due respect to to someone like a TJ Otzelberger, and there's a couple other guys that deserve to be kind of in that conversation a little bit. Um, for my money, it's it's either Tommy Lloyd, who has basically turned uh, Arizona from a team that was kind of an also ran, not even considered as a Pac-12 contender, to being someone that can win a national title. Um, he's taken a group of kids that someone else recruited and turned them into basically Gonzaga light with the way that they play. Ton of fun to watch. Bunch of pros on that roster. To me, it's it's one of those two. I would probably lean a little bit towards Scott Drew at this point, T.O., but it, it, to me, it's if you're not picking one of those two guys and you're out of your mind. So it puts a lot of pressure on you right now. Who you got? Uh, Scott Drew. Scott Drew. Uh, sleeper pick that could develop into National Coach of the Year, and I think you guys Steve need Forbes. to keep an eye on it. Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes. I love Steve. No, not Steve <laughs> Forbes. Uh, the guy, who, if he's able to help his team get through his conference – and he's, it's the American Athletic Conference with all the injuries that he's been dealt with. Uh, my, main man, my main man, Kelvin Sampson, like, they've had, they, they've had two losses. One to Wisconsin on a neutral floor, two-point loss. One to Alabama on a controversial last play, one-point loss. Uh, still a very good team. If With all the injuries they've had, if they're able to still go and win that league, he, he needs consideration. But as of right now, I'm going Scott Drew just because what he's doing is phenomenal. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get into our first team, All-Americans. And look, I'll tell you what, this was tough to put together. Like your first team All-American, second team All-American. I have 12 guys. Basically, I, I went down to 12 guys. And I think every single one of them has a very strong argument to be a first team All-American right now. So uh, this is kind of what I came up with, I guess. So um, I'm going to start. I'm going to have... Um, it, it, it's Big Ten heavy, and there's no real true point guard on my first team, but I'm going with EJ Liddell, Wendell Moore, Johnny Davis, your boy Oshai Agbaji, Fanta, and Kofi Coburn. To me, that is my, that's my first team All-American. Three guys from the Big Ten, plus my preseason – or plus my player of the year and plus Fanta's player of the year. Uh, you guys got any disagreements with that group? Um. I mean, I had Agbaji, Coburn, Johnny Davis, Liddell, and then I threw in Benedict Matherin, but I could, I could throw Benedict Matherin to the second team for Wendell Moore. So with that in mind, I don't have any disagreements with you, Mr. Doster. I'm with you. What do you got, T.O.? I, I had a hard time breaking up between first and second team, but um, it, it, it's hard to – it's hard to – it's hard to argue with any of those picks, obviously. Uh, other guys that I uh, – let's see. Who are the five you picked again? I'm sitting here looking at my list right now. I didn't break them up. EJ Liddell, Wendell Moore, Johnny Davis, and Igbaji. Uh Fanta has that as well. I went with – wait. No, I, I I can't remember. I have EJ Liddell, Wendell Moore, Johnny Davis, Igbaji, and Kofi Coburn as my first team. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I have Oscar Tashibwe. I think he deserves to be in that conversation. If you average 15 and 15, uh, I, I I think that's I have, noteworthy. I have Big Sheeb on my second team. So my, yes, my, my second team is the homie James Akinjo, Jaden Ivey, Benedict Matherin, Paolo, and Oscar Shibwe. That's okay. my second team. And the two guys that I could not find a place for that deserve to be a first or second team All-American are Jabari Smith and Drew Timmy. To me, there's 12 guys that are that are in consideration for this right now. It's those 12. So what do you guys have second team? Uh, I never get – I'll just give you my 11. I have 11. Kofi Coburn, Oscar Tashibwe, Ochai Abaji, Alondis Williams, throwing him in there because he's been really, really good. Wendell Moore, Paolo Bancaro, Johnny Davis, Jaden Ivey, Benedict Mathurin, Jabari Smith, and EJ Liddell. I think those guys all deserve consideration. Uh, my second team is a six-member team. We have a tie for uh, the last member, which sometimes there are ties, uh, especially mm-hmm. in this weird voting uh, that seems to be one extra member of a team. And everyone's like, why are there six? Oh, there's six because they don't want to break up the tie and they give it to the same. No, yeah, I, I'm not going to let you have a tie here. You got to make a decision. <laughs> if, I did, if I had to not put Drew Timmy on an All-American team, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm holding you to it. I'm putting your feet. You know what I'm doing? I'm lighting that fire, right? I'm taking your yep. feet and I'm putting them on that fire. You got to make a decision here. All right. I dropped you, Timmy, from an All-American team. You can't okay. – you're letting me hang out in the wind. You let me take bullets out here. I thought we were teammates, Fanta. Well, he hasn't – played. I mean, look, he hasn't had the season we thought he would have. Still, he had an amazing game against Texas and had a really nice start to the season. So I'm not going to penalize him. I'm going to keep him on the second team. I, I'm probably going to get some negative reviews for leaving Oscar Tshibwe off of my second All-America team. But guess what? I think – and this – Oscar, you're a really good player. But I think you benefit because Kentucky's backcourt at times has been so inconsistent. So you rack up numbers as a result. Sorry, that's just what I think. Um, my second team would be Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, Benedict Matherin, since I had to slide him to the second team. He's been an All-American. Benedict Matherin has been – he's the biggest reason why Arizona is what they are. Drew Timmy gets on there. And then Colorado State's David Roddy. Yes. Team. I like that. I love it. I don't like, hey, Drew Timmy hasn't had an All-American season. Like, he's struggled against, like, he's struggled when they've played big athletes. And with Gonzaga, they're not going to have that many opportunities to show out. Like, whenever he played, he has to play well in those big games. I don't think he's been worthy of an All-American this year. Sorry. That's that's why, that's why I dropped him. That's yeah. why I have him. I think I probably would put him on a third-team spot, but it, I, that's why I, I, I slid him off. But like, you mentioned David Roddy because I, I said one of the things I want you guys to, to to have here is what we call our league pass MVP. And I don't know, like for people that watch the NBA, there's NBA league pass, which is the league pass teams. And I think it's Zach Lowe that always puts out the league pass ratings, which are the the most fun teams and players to watch that aren't going to be the, the teams that show up on TNT or on ESPN or on ABC. There aren't uh, the Warriors and LeBron or Steph or any of these 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 huge names. So uh, I have two that I wrote down. Um, I got David Roddy from Colorado State, uh, and I went with Taron Armstrong. Do you guys know who Taron Armstrong is? Yes, yeah. yes, I do know who that is. Yeah, he is uh, a, a point guard from Australia who is um, a. I think it's fair to say a wizard uh, with the basketball. Um, plays for Cal Baptist and yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, okay. just a just a fantastic passer, a, a ball screen maestro. Uh, that if you have a chance to be able to um, 
to to watch him play. He, it's just it's ridiculous the things that he's able to do on a basketball court. So definitely have a chance to to tune in and, and watch him if Cal Baptist plays big games. Those are two guys. I mean, David Roddy's going to be in the NCAA tournament. Colorado State's that good. But I'm I'm really hoping that that Cal Baptist finds way to to get in the dance because we need to see Taron Armstrong against teams that are uh, are at that level. It's just too much fun not to. Go ahead, John. Go ahead, Fanta. You got you got your two guys or one guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll get I'll give you two guys that stand out to me that that get that league pass, and I got to start with Michael Devoe at Georgia Tech. I mean, guys, it, for those of our those listeners out there, if you have not seen Michael Devoe play, or if you're just like, oh, it's Georgia Tech, I don't have to watch them, you are missing out. You're missing out. Um, he and you should be watching Georgia Tech because of him and mm-hmm. Josh Pastner's face shield. But Michael yes. DePoe gets the, the league pass award for me. Uh, he's a thrill. He is a thrill to watch. And then the second guy that could step on the floor in the Horizon League tournament and do some crazy things is the nation's second leading scorer that you probably don't know a lot about. His name is Antoine Davis. Yeah, he's good. He averages over 22 points per game. This kid has hit 49 threes on the season. 49 of his 79 field goals made are threes. Antoine Davis, baby, from Detroit Mercy. I got my eyes on the senior. Six-foot-one senior, giving him some love for the league pass. If you're if you're on ESPN Plus one night and you see Detroit Mercy playing, turn him on because Antoine Davis is going to hit some shots, and he's going to be real fun to watch while doing it. He'll take some wild ones, and he'll make some wild ones. That's a good pick. Yeah. I love a guy who's willing to take some wild ones and make some wild ones, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love the no, 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 yes <laughs> shot. I, I tweeted on Saturday, like, Bryce Aiken keeps taking these types of shots, and he keeps finding ways to make some of the wild ones. We, we love that in college basketball. It's where those shots live. It's where uh, Ron Hunter's son can hit that type of shot in yep. the NCAA tournament. Which, by the way, might be the most underrated shot in NCAA tournament history, the one that R.J. Hunter hit. That was unbelievable. You have the son hitting a game wither while his father, who is on a scooter because he tore his Achilles <laughs> celebrating another win, right, falls off the scooter so on good. national television. That is, that is, I, I can't believe that, that people don't rank that. To me, that's like a top five NCAA tournament moment of all time. We got like Jalen Suggs shot. We got uh, Chris Jenkins shot. And to me, like that R.J. Hunter shot is right up there. Am I crazy? No, that was a good shot. It, it's pretty Top cool five. for him to do it in front of his dad, too. Yeah, it's so good. That's, yeah. Top that's five awesome. is, is – that's that's quite the – Great. It's such – it's it never – the second round? I'll, I'll go watch it right now, and it never doesn't make me laugh. Mostly just because, like, you know how ridiculous Ron Hunter is. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're putting that in there, then you got to put Jesperson. Jesperson's half court heave for Northern well, Iowa. Of course, that's great. It's a half court shot, but like we, we're never going to see anything like that again. You're never going to see a son hit a game winning shot for his father, the team that his father coached, while his father is on a scooter and while he's celebrating, it sends him flying on his back like a like a beetle that's stuck on his back and he can't get up. That it just it's. So what about the Bryce? Was the Bryce Drew shot? Was his dad the coach? Uh, yeah, Alpo. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that pretty cool too. That one's up there too. Yeah. There's a reason why when you see all of the commercials, that's always there. And I there cannot believe for the life of me why RJ Hunter's shot is not there as well. We need yeah. to make this happen. Yeah. 
That was, that was awesome. Yeah, I, it, I got stuff back there in the back of my head. It's like a lazy Susan of every now and then, like it'll roll and I'll hit something. Uh, let me go uh, league pass and I'm going to be selfish. Guy plays for Furman. I get to watch him a lot because I call a lot of their games. Jalen Slauson is a problem. Like they've got three guys on that Furman team that are really good. Alex Hunter's fourth in the country and three-pointers made at over 50. Uh, Mike Bothwell's a big-time scorer, had 30 at Louisville in an upset win. But Jalen Slauson's what makes that whole team go. Uh, he is a big-time athlete. He is a potential NBA basketball player. He is tough to watch. And my other guy is Tommy Cousy, St. Mary's, who gets where he wants to. Big body, strong, great passer, a lot of fun to watch. Dribbles that ball really high, so you don't really know if he's uh, in control or not, but he always seems to be at the end of the possession. So those are my two. Yep. All right. Uh, this has been fun. We've been here for well over an hour. I think we ended up on uh, more tangents than I expected and more tangents than are, are normal for us. But this was a good hey, par for the course. Par for the par course. For, par for the course. Yeah, I have to the, – the snow is starting to accumulate out there. Like, I'm going to have to get yeah. outside pretty soon. Uh, I'm not necessarily looking forward to this. But I am – I'll tell you this much. I am kind of understanding why uh, schools were closed before a single flake of snow had fallen because we already have about an inch outside right now. And it's supposed to snow like this until four o'clock. So it could have gotten a little bit dicey with some of these kids coming home on the buses. So uh, without further ado, for Terrence Oglesby, the one and only T.O., and for John Fanta, my name was Rob Dawson. This was the DTF Podcast. We will see you guys again next Monday.